Welcome to Iona, a podcast delving into mystery and feminine systems, ancient, modern, and conceptual. I am Allie Kessler, currently a student and a seeker of rhythms, both cosmic and earthly. And I'm Anne-Marie Vivienne. I'm a writer, poet, theoretical naturalist, and a mystic interested in decomposition, beauty, and resonance. Uh, Welcome, everybody. We are um, podcasting this episode right before the Scorpio full moon of Taurus season. And um, we're kind of going to try a new little thing in terms of starting the podcast off with giving a little mini scenario to kind of orient the episode and um, put you guys into um, thinking about your own kind of experience maybe with the energy we're going to talk about. (laughs) So um, with this particular Taurus season, I love to look at these zodiac seasons in developmental ways and progress through progressions and stuff um but especially like for this scenario i'm gonna give if you look at um taurus season or the energy of taurus in a developmental way it rules the ages of seven through um, when we turn 14 we enter the new one and so i just want to put everyone kind of back into those years a little bit um and this particular Taurus season is kind of um maybe at the tail end of this 7 to 14 so I'm going to say let's put ourselves in our 13 year old bodies and energies <laughs> whatever that may be and I think what is that 7th grade-ish yeah 7th 8th grade yeah 7th 8th grade mm-hmm. so you know to me that's the time you're kind of a tween Um, these years that Taurus hold have a lot to do with how we develop our emotional wiring and um, it's funny because I've always looked at cultural themes as being a little bit more either Virgo in some ways and Sagittarius in other ways but I'm starting to see that there is a pretty huge element of culture that um, comes in at this Taurus phase of life. And it's when we really become enculturated and are instilled with kind of the values of our cultures. And, um, you know, this sign and those developmental years have a lot to do with um, understanding what we are um, gaining approval of, the way we feel guilt, the way we feel shame all based off of kind of the cultures that are entraining us and instilling in us at these times. So I want everyone to kind of go back to their 13-year-old selves. And it might be a time when you're starting to become a little bit more social, detaching a little bit more from your parents, but on this edge of like still needing their approval, still seeing things about family or whatever was the dominant kind of microculture 
in your life that was instilling your values. Um, but you're starting to rub against these a little bit because you're being more social and you're seeing how maybe other families function a little bit that might be different than you do or just how friends do. And so you're starting to question and push against these a little bit, but you still are so instilled with these values. So you still also are like really trying to please and get approval for certain things. And there's certain things that are gonna trigger guilt in you, which I read as more of intrinsic kind of um, going against a value or shame, which I think is more extrinsic, where you know you feel like maybe your culture's gonna exile you if they find this thing out about you. <laughs> so you're doing this balancing act and it's a little bit rebellious in these years where you're dancing between your microculture and some bigger cultures with socially that are kind of unfolding. Mm. And um, I don't know, just try and like remember a few things from these years. What, what triggered approval? You know, like how did you find, what were some things you found a lot of approval and value for? If you can think of one or two scenarios. And, you know, I mean, it's hard because these were probably a long time ago for a lot of us. Well, and I think that I would suggest that, you know, this is something that I'll be talking more about, but hard to remember but start writing about it and yeah. I feel like you know if you're having a hard time remembering if you can just remember any yeah. crumb just start writing about that crumb and I think you'll be amazed at what kind of comes out and from writing through that people and then share it and share, share it with it. people who you feel safe sharing because those things with I came up with this a few days ago and I shared it with Anne last night and we've had we've had the opportunity to be around each other quite a bit since last night and today yeah. and we've talked about it and so much has like come out around these themes that's crazy so it may not you know as we talk through this podcast it may not come up for you but over Take the some next time in the next few days so yeah like let it kind of marinate and write about it and talk to people and see what comes out it's it's fascinating um yeah so thinking about things where you found approval, what did you want approval for, what kind of things were you finding guilt around or shame around in these years. Um, yeah, so I think we'll both, after I read the card, or do you want to read the card that we picked? Um, yeah, I'll read it. Okay. So we decided that we would uh, pick one card as kind of a theme for the whole episode rather than doing individual cards and um it still turned out to be quite personal for both of us yeah <laughs> um uh, crazy spot on uh so we drew links and eyebright things are not as they appear go within and beyond to find clarity and truth links is the seer the archetype who knows how to perceive the larger truth in any situation no matter how garbled and confusing things might seem on the surface. He knows to become silent and spend time alone when faced with situations where he feels unsure, and to create space for knowing that transcends our immediate or reactive assessment of what's happening. He sees and hears what cannot be seen and heard with the eyes and ears, contacting the spiritual process that is playing out. We all possess this skill and ability to see. 
Though we are rarely quiet or still enough to allow truth to be offered to us, habitually reacting and judging immediately instead. Eyebright, an herb named by the Greeks for its ability to clear the eyes and bring joy and understanding, also reminds us to clarify our vision and to become willing to take a second look, but with the whole self rather than just our perceptual organs, at a situation that might be playing out. Can I become still and silent and allow a new vision to emerge? So much. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was our pre-talk. This hit every single angle of a very complex, complex story, story (laughs) discussion that's been unfolding and I don't even know where to start, but... Well, and I I think, you know, to maybe generalize it for people as you're thinking of that 13-year-old self, for me, you know, I think for a lot of people that's a very, is commonly a wounded time of life and trying to find your place in a social or familial um, realm and I think you know I you know, you know and it's that kind of you're on that cusp of being you're a teenager and and trying to fit in and I think it's very painful it's a very painful process trying to fit in in some way or another and I don't think anyone is totally free of that anxiety yeah. at that age and so I think this links you know is what I loved about it was it's asking us to see things at from our whole self and not that wounded self and another word for whole is healed mm-hmm. so it's you know I think it's a time that we can now have a perspective on our 13 year old self and the things that we internalized that a lot of us still carry and will carry our whole lives and it's I just feel like it's this, it's a card, the links and the eyebright that's really empowering to be able to, to look back and see, you know, where maybe we've created some beliefs based off of how to fit in, Mm -hmm. do we fit in, um, what's the right thing to do, wrong thing to do, you know, how do, you know, where do I belong? Yeah, well, I'm like, what are my values and how yeah. are how is the social culture rubbing against mm. my familial culture yeah and how do you yeah and I think even now yeah, and yeah I think even now as adults it's a nice way to check in with like right where am I doing something out of obligation to right. society where I don't really agree with this and so to recalibrate and say okay, that's actually, I don't value that. Yeah. And I want to stop participating in that. So to start at least just acknowledging Mm -hmm. those, right? Step one is just to see it. Yeah. And it talks a lot about seeing in this card too. Like, you know, what do we get so caught up in our, our community or culture and and what can we, yeah. And I love, so I just, I'm kind of overwhelmed with this window that I'm starting to see that astrology gives you mm. to go back in time and bend time mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, you know, because we don't get 
in these progressions that go on. We don't get to revisit our, you know, I want to call this like late 12 year old, early 13 year old moment, maybe once every 19 years, you know, Mm -hmm. and we get this window of opportunity to kind of Mm-hmm. Re-eval- so like the very first line of this card things are not as they appear <laughs> at that age no they're not and we, we don't have the maturity to understand that or handle it super well well yeah. some people maybe do but, yeah. but a lot of people don't most people yeah. probably don't but as an adult to yeah. step back into those times and see what was not as it appeared man yeah (laughs) and I think you know for me and I think this is you know like I think at that age you often look around and you know you see people and it looks like their life is right and they're doing it right and life is perfect and you know it's like as you age and you you start to hear the story you're like oh wow that person had it really rough or oh wow that it turns out that you know, I thought that person was going to end up with this dream life and have it all. And turns out, actually, I don't even want that. You know, maybe they ended up having that life that you thought as a kid was like, that's what I want. So it's like yeah. your values do shift. Right. And in a way, I'm like, thank God I didn't get what my 13-year-old self thought she wanted. Right. You know, like, <laughs> I think that's, that's, I think it's a good way to kind of keep track of even just like, to not be so hard on yourself. Yes, and also looking at maybe some of the traumas that could have happened and been yeah. being like, oh, as an adult, I can yeah. see this so much more compassionately and see that there was no way for me to understand how to handle that. Right. You know? Right. And, um, yeah. Clear that and, like, re-digest it. Right. process it and be like, oh, okay. So... Like, well, and you're, you're seeing and you're hearing with a cultural lens because you, you don't know what your own values are quite yet. Right. And so you're, when it talks about, you know, seeing and hearing, but not hear, seeing and hearing truly, you know, right. it's like you are seeing and hearing things, but you're... You're, you're perceiving you're, a lot, you're digesting a lot, but you maybe don't quite know your internal compass. You're being given compasses. Right. So you're yeah, by you're, the external world, and you're yeah. trying to because different worlds are starting to mesh more and more at this point. So you're really yeah. trying to figure out your own compass. Yeah, I think you know it's it is healing to look back and and look at my own thirteen year old self, and to to be able to be like, ah, oh, baby girl, you knew. Yes, you knew. Yes, you knew what you wanted. You knew it was right for you. You knew. And you still, because you're 13 and right. it's so hard, you you were persuaded otherwise. And, mm-hmm. you know, then the judgment reflected back on myself. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking earlier and I'm like, I, I, I responded to my own trauma of that age in a fight way. And I ended up fighting myself because I couldn't fight the real things that were threatening me. I didn't have the power. But I sadly turned that inward yes and I've been fighting myself until just recently I had a combo of fight and a combo of flight a freeze freeze no a flight a combo of oh oh fight and I I did fight and I did flight 
Okay, sorry. Gotcha. That was worded very You didn't freeze. <laughs> no, I didn't but you freeze. did both light and, and fight. And fight with yeah. different things. So, like, that knowing yeah. that I think probably a lot of us have a knowing at that point as we developed our first kind of real you have value compass. Yeah. And I'll share mine that Anne may or may not share her side of this. <laughs> I'll, keep, I'll keep mine not so heavy for the listeners. <laughs> um, I was obsessed with this book called The Shaman's Apprentice. And I just knew I was going to be an anthropologist, but also actually more interested in the shaman in this, but I couldn't maybe relate to the shaman, but that's what I was actually interested in. Mm. And I was told by um, a church leader that you do interviews with in the religion I was in that um, basically to be, that that would be a shameful path to follow. And was this like a worthiness interview? Because that would be interesting, because in a way it's like these ecclesiastical leaders that we had, which we called bishops, they, they, the only reason they were ever interviewing us was a worthiness interview. Probably. I don't remember. So it, now it's that. attached. So now he's having this conversation yeah, with you and it's attached to worthiness, to your sense of worth. Yeah. Which is yeah. that your sense of self value. So I had a fight and a flight reaction to this where if I could pinpoint, I always say like, it just didn't, my religion didn't fit me and I just kind of naturally floated out. But I'm like, if I actually could pinpoint one point, mm-hmm. one moment where that, like, there was a major turning point, it was that. I was so angry because I knew that that was my path. And I think I really shut down with my religion at that point. But I also fled from that path yeah. and shut that out. Yeah. And so I had a, a duel at led me away from my religion but also led me away from that knowing yeah at the same time it was a full-on flight yeah and as most of you know I'm kind of in pause mode with astrology I've shared like a little bit through Iona but I'm pretty been stepped back so I'm like I you know I see it in my own way I know I've developed this whole system that's my own but I don't really know like it's very complicated and it's hard to share with people in like a digestible way and just this morning I was reading um, it's actually this uh, astrologer Melanie Reinhardt who I think is beautiful and amazing I love her lens with astrology and she was talking about the Venus journey which a lot of astrologers follow um, and I get so frustrated because that's the way I see like all the planets is going through journeys and people tend to stop with the Venus one. I'm like, why is that? Mm-hmm. But beyond that, she described this Venus journey as the Venus shamanic journey. And I was like, oh, I don't know if that's obvious or <laughs> not, but that's the first time I'd heard shamanic in relation to like an astrological process. And I'm like, that's how... I do astrology, it's a shamanic approach. And now it's like all of a sudden unfolding for me and like why I get irritated with a lot of, maybe I've not shared this, but I do get very irritated (laughs) with most astrologers. And it's not any personal person, but it's the way it's being done where I'm like, it's just so surface. It's so like 
these moments that mean nothing and why don't people share that there's these journeys that unfold and I'm like oh it's just like that's my calling as I'm more of a shaman yeah lens everyone has their different lens so now I can kind of relax and let people have their own damn lenses because I understand now where this frustration is coming from, and now I understand what I need to do to be able to share my lens better and yeah. develop it better and cloak it in story. And yeah. yeah, kind of like, and it just like all of a sudden it fit where I've always kind of fought with this title of astrologer or what astrology is, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, shamanic astrology, yeah, done. That's what it is. And like, I knew. In those years, as my 13-year-old self, I had that shaman calling, but I was told to be ashamed of that. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. it's really interesting to dive back in those shoes. Like, what? Well, more than interesting. I mean, it's it's a relief, wouldn't it's you say? It's a relief, <laughs> yes. Yeah, wow. You know, and more, like, there's still this, like, you know, I, I consider... So also, like, I had this picture in my head of what a shaman is supposed to be, mm-hmm. and I, you know, because there's people in my world that are... There's kind of the caricature of a shaman. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. well, that's not me, and yeah. then I'm like, when this hit, I'm like, oh, a shaman doesn't have to look a certain way. It's, yeah. it's this process they're able to, like... It's a it's a way of seeing and hearing. It's yeah. back to this Lynx card, and that's why this yeah. Lynx card hit so right on is because of that. Like, I'm not going to take people through their charts on drugs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <Or anything like laughs> Sorry that. if you were hoping. But that I, that's... Know, I know how to take people on a journey yeah. through it. I've done it with my husband for two years, and, and it fucking worked. And, and yeah. 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 Um, and... Right on time when I told him he was going to have a rebirth, he had a rebirth. Yeah. And I know how to do that process, and it has nothing to do with, like, I don't know, what I had in my head of, like, what a shaman was. Right. But it is a journey, and it's, like, this ferrying someone through a story that's playing out, and it's connecting to them, to what they can't see themselves. Yes, Or feel themselves. And helping them connect the mythology and the symbolism of what they're going through, and yeah, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, got it. <laughs> it's so perfect. Yeah, when Allie said that, I was like, yes. There's, an, I felt like that is. I feel like you've been finding your way to it, and each step yeah. has felt more and yeah. more true. But this feels like you landed on it. Like right. this is the truest of true. And I do think if I came to this initially as like shamanic astrology and just using myth I wouldn't understand the science and the technicalities and the concrete elements of the progressions and how space works and this and that and so maybe I needed to like go through a more concrete path for a while and I could kind of marry the the myth and the concrete yeah (laughs) it's amazing but reclaiming things from my 13 year old wounds <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah it's so funny Allie and I in so so many similarities and, and yet with our very own unique expressions of these things which is really cool um but yeah I 
I'm really going on intuition here of how much to share of my 13-year-old self <laughs> in a way that I think would be helpful, but also I don't want it to become dramatic. Um, but, yeah. The stories always help people. They do. Know? That's where I'm like, okay, yeah. there's, there's a certain dosage of the story that's before it, it overwhelms. But sure. I, <laughs> I'll baby, you know, over, you know, if you keep following us for a while, maybe I'll, you know, baby step you through that. But there was a lot of abuse in my, that, my whole upbringing. Um, mostly from my dad, um, which really distorted my sense of self and, um, and value and who and what I could trust. And so I ended up putting a lot of trust in ecclesiastical leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting working on getting a lot of approval there. So interestingly, you know, as Ali was walking us through that first scenario, I realized at that time I actually that's when I started to socially isolate myself, mm. um, and I didn't want to participate. I started to see norm like normal social things that thirteen year olds would do as frivolous and unimportant yeah and what really mattered was a spiritual journey and Mm -hmm. so the only spirituality I knew was Mormonism yeah I threw myself in and started my fighting of myself and feelings of deep unworthiness Mm -hmm. and no value and because you've expressed how your worthiness in the church was exemplar. Oh yeah, so I was, your internal yeah unworthiness was being yeah maybe bolstered by what you were able to yes so so get gain approval for and yeah. yeah so when it came to worthiness and self value, I always felt like I was starting from scratch. Like I didn't yeah. have a sense of inherent right. worth or value, and so it was always having to fight my own unworthiness with huge efforts of righteousness. Right. You know, and and always going above and beyond, which which kept me socially separate because, you know, kids were being kids and I was too good for that in a lot of ways and was very um just very devoted to getting approval from my ecclesiastical leaders. Um, and so in a way, you know, I'm, it. my nature is I'm a spiritual person who seeks truth. Like, that's mm-hmm. just who I am. So, you know, so in a way, like, you know, I can see bits of truth in who I was in yeah. that efforting, but it was all in this you know, need to be loved and belong and um, know that I was okay. Right. So, but I turned it against myself, which was um, the sad thing. But, so yeah, I think for me now, 
I think that's why in some ways I've resisted. So this whole thing of fighting myself has gone on and on and on until maybe like yesterday. <laughs> but like, um, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, like this is fresh, but it's in the past couple months allowing myself I, I think you know I left Mormonism seven years ago cold turkey which is unheard of for a lot of people most people some most people kind of slowly dissolve out of it somehow or or you know move away from home and it's convenient but um, anyway seven years ago I left and it's I continued to fight myself though and I really suppressed I was so hurt by my righteous my my righteous spiritual journey and I and I had I could sense that what I had done to myself was really damaging mm -hmm. and so you know try as I might I can't stop a spiritual journey because that's just who I am and so I think I've been suppressing the desire to live a spiritual life and to, to, well, back when I was 13, interest, okay, so here's, I have to add this detail really quick. Um, around that age, so when Mormon boys turn 12, they become ordained. Man, you know this stuff so well. I've yeah. forgotten all of these things. Oh, I know this because I was <laughs> oh, obsessed. It was part of your journey. It was yes. part of my dream. Oh, I love where this is going. Okay. Yeah, it was part of my, to there was something about ordination right. and receiving authority to heal and to see and to, uh, to yeah. So there was, I was, I wanted to be ordained right. more than anything. So 12 years old, all of my, and I was the only girl in my neighborhood, um, well, in what were called wards, which were congregations. Only girl my age in the congregation so all my friends were boys, and they were getting ordained. And I was ashamed of being a woman mm -hmm. for that very reason. That I, um, I have to breathe for a second. Cause, you were all of a sudden different yeah. and separated yeah. through this spiritual thing that was more your calling than theirs. And I knew that. So... Here it comes. Um, <laughs> Just let it go. That's Tara's voice. Those. <laughs> Voicing this wound. Um, I knew it was more mine than theirs. And um, I wanted it. And I, you know, at that age I had read the Bible a few times. Um, and also the Mormon scriptures, which are bizarre. But I had read them all multiple times through um and trying to almost like could I righteous myself out of being a woman um so anyway so this ordination this word has always been a thing for me um so when I left Mormonism at 33 and at the same time I my marriage ended um, I actually, right before I left, was part of a movement within the Mormon church called Ordained Women. Um, and it was my last fight. And when I did leave the Mormon church, 
I remember thinking, I cannot fight anymore. Um, and there is no healing for me in this place. So I knew that it, it was a, my Mormon religion was basically a battleground for me. Um, and so fast forward now, seven years later, and I think in that seven year period, I was so um, hurt by myself uh, that I was almost, I was, I was afraid of claiming that spiritual desire um, because it was so painful and impossible. Um, so here I am and recently you know, I've known, I've known I've always wanted to work with individuals and be part of people's healing journeys and helping them find their truth um, and to voice it and to claim it. Um, I love seeing people go through that kind of journey. And I feel like, anyway, so I've been trying to figure out what's my next step. Am I a therapist? Am I a coach? Am I just avoiding the obvious right. of what I am. And as I'm looking at all these different programs and things and options, and do I go back to school? Do I do something alternative? And like, yeah, luckily things were just too expensive <laughs> until I found something I could afford and that actually fit so perfectly. Um, I found a Celtic shaman uh, training that fit in every possible way. And I've, let's see, I signed up, what, six weeks ago? And I've, every time I tell people, I get a little more confident in telling people I'm doing it, but I still feel this, like, a shame in doing something that was forbidden for women, right. you know, at that age of 13. Like, for me to have said at age 13 that I am a healer and I want to help people heal, would have landed me in serious exile mm -hmm. in my family, in my neighborhood, all across the board. The shame and the exile was real. So, um, so yeah, so I'm now I am on my version of a shamanic path, and and then it's even opened up to like this how much I want to officiate ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, starting with wedding ceremonies. So, which means I had to just go online and it was as easy as two minutes going online and becoming an ordained minister. And I, <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, I told Al, you know, just kind of a joke, you know, a jokey text, like, ha ha, I'm ordained. And thank God for Allie, who just was like, when was that seed planted, this ordination seed? And so she was the one that helped me see that it's a big, that it's a big deal for me. Huge deal. I think this, I'm crying now for the first time about it. Um... So, yeah, um, I'll leave it at that. So we both found out that at our Taurus 
ages, we probably knew we were shamans if we had the language for it. And right. And are just rediscovering it now that we can go back to that age. Right, and it's amazing, and it's so... And I'm, it's I'm so crying, obvious it's... why we're friends now. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know we're different. What is it now? No. It's like, oh, we both have this calling that's, you know, it looks yeah. very different on us. Yeah. In terms of how we're using it, what our process with it is, but it is... And yet the conversations we're having, right. we're on the same page. It's just, again, I love this idea of it just has a different expression. Right. But at its heart, it's the same, so we can have these But it's also freeing to yeah. kind of let go of what we thought this archetype looked like, which is yeah. not how it fits on us either. No, yeah, we definitely don't. I wouldn't even say the archetype. I, I feel like it's the caricature. It's right, like, right. It's this modern-day caricature of what a shaman was, where I feel like I I feel like I'm getting closer to a more ancient, for me, right. because I have Celtic roots, of what it might have been more like. Right. You know, of just this very mundane mm-hmm. way of interacting with people and these, like, you know... The, for me, you know, interacting with people at these uh, thresholds throughout life that were just a natural part of life, you know, right. births, weddings, um, any kinds of transformation and transition, you know, would have been so normal. And you're just this normal part of the community. And now I feel like it has this um, specialness to it that right. that is hard to claim it's like I think that's what you and I both resist is the specialness of it right exactly but I feel like and it's just yeah. hitting to me yeah for you it is like these rites and passages and for me it's like mm-hmm. understanding the journey someone's going to go on and being able to yeah help them see the way yeah kind of or like accept and go through it in a much more yeah. Um, seeing way. Yeah. And, yeah. So yeah. It is. Yeah, that's exactly it. So there you go. That's. <laughs> and it was funny because we were both, we've always both had this tug of war with this, you know, we're like, yes, we're drawn to the mystical. And, mm. But like saying like, I'm a mystic has never quite yeah. fit. And I've always been like, why am I fighting it? Like, it's that, you know, like, what's this thing? And now it's like, oh. No, I'm a shaman that fits because it's a little darker. Yeah. And it's willing to, like... We, it, it does take... And that's what I feel it's like It's willing to go into... Where a lot deep, of people don't want to go. Yeah. And I think that's what's also isolated me socially right. still. And I think now I'm finally acknowledging in a really healthy way that it's okay for me to be as socially isolated as I am. And in a way, because... I do go into these deep, dark places that are messy and uncertain, right. and and I feel bad dragging. Uh, I've tried in the past in other friendships or romantic relationships to bring people along with me into those depths, and that's not how it goes. So I <laughs> I feel like now I recognize that I do need to have a lot of solitude because I do love to delve into these. Yeah realms that a lot of people don't want to go to right and so it's sort of like all of a sudden realizing our archetype yeah and being like yes I am shamanic I still need some mentorship to develop this in me but that is like my that's what we just naturally do 
is what we do. Yeah. We need to hone it more consciously now, but yeah. or unconsciously. That's interesting because uh, that <laughs> does remind me the unconscious. <laughs> that does remind me that I've had an aversion to. Like, you know, we have our goddess cards that we love so much. And it's funny, I haven't drawn this card forever. And part of me has been like, why haven't I drawn that card for so long? It was like my card forever was is mm-hmm. um, the high priestess, um, Diana, right? Yeah. And I was like, I haven't... But I, so the same way that I haven't been able to claim mystic 100%. And I've also known that somehow I want to be some kind of priestess but right. I couldn't claim priestess either so shaman is the exact right right everything no share that what you heard from the um Michael oh from Michael Mead so wonderful it fits with this I think it's a lovely yeah one. so on a recent episode he has a great podcast so all of you if you're not already listening will if you're listening to us you'll love this podcast with Michael Mead it's called living myth is the name of the podcast and in a recent episode, um, he shared um, about a tribe uh, that lives along the Amazon River. They're called the um, Apotere, I think. And they, first of all, you know, he starts out by talking about how they wake up early, the whole community wakes up early together to sing their dreams together. And it's this way of um, bringing the entire soul um, into this vibration, into the vibration of the song, that kind of mm-hmm. original, ongoing, creative song, um, and a way to bring these dreams and the subconscious to light so that they're always aware as a community together of these, of both um, kind of their wisest selves, but also that part of themselves that's conflicted. So it's a way of bringing that out in the community daily, which I think is amazing. There's no there's no chance for shame. You know, it's like nothing <laughs> is ever hidden because daily you're right. you're singing the dreams, you know, the the good and the bad dreams. But anyway, he he talks about too within their culture, part of that is they believe that the soul has three essential elements and uh, the first element is like the seed that holds the pattern of who mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. And that's called uh, the wise word or the good word. And that's just like, yeah, your most true self. Um, and then you have on top of that, and they are always together. You can never separate these things. They come in a pair. Is the, um, the crosswise word. So it's, it's that subconscious shadow, the conflicted, the, the conflict in the self. And often those conflicts come from those exterior um, systems that maybe put these values on right. you, you know. And um, so you have that conflict within you mm-hmm. where that, I think, is where the shame attaches. And I also, you know, it can... Be, even though it can be a terrible, difficult, traumatic mm. thing, it's also really beautiful because it's what pushes our evolution. Right, and it's part of... So it's like, yeah. what I love about this is they don't exile even that part right. from themselves. It's 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 part of the soul. Right. It's it's not, not part of the soul. Yeah. So that part of you that's conflicted is part of your soul, yeah. and it's part of this 
process of development. Which and then, it should be. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And so then they have the third element, which is called um, the word that is held in waiting. And it is, it is the medicine word. It is the word of healing. Mm-hmm. It is the thing that awakens right. that conflicted self. And it, it's the thing that alchemizes the conflicted mm-hmm. self into, you know, becoming, you know, um, to, to stepping into your, to your calling. It's that right. expansiveness. So yeah. So I, yeah, that word and it's, the way that Michael Mead talks about it was so wonderful was he was like that word that is held in, in waiting is what you are waiting for. Right. And that goes back to, I brought this up so many times, like, um, with the word desire. And one of the meanings of that word is to await for what the stars will bring. And I think that waiting and, a, and wait, like, it will come to you and right. you know what it is and you want. And so in a way, it's like going back to that 13-year-old self, what you desire is what you value too. Mm-hmm, you know, exactly. like what you most desire is what you most value. It's like you're precious. It's your and treasure. So like, of it's course everything. we're going to like develop some self-sabotage yeah. around desire because our values get so messed up yeah. in this weird time when you're meshing microcultures or a microculture too and more yeah he talks about that even a a culture has a soul right and so you know the culture especially when you grew up in you know and any culture has this crosswise word this conflict that it has to be aware of and so that's why again me personally part of the, the shaman journey and practice that I'm most interested in is this this community coming together and witnessing each other and having these rites of passage. And one thing that I'll also be starting to do is offer uh, group writing sessions. So mm-hmm. I'm like, people don't want to, I know it's a stretch to ask people to just start singing their dreams, which ultimately one day I hope that I can have a group that is willing to sing their dreams. Um, maybe we'll all get there together, but you know, having people come and we work through um, based on you know a seasonal calendar and you know rhythms of nature that we come together and we we write and then we share you know that's my version of singing the dreams mm-hmm. and I was like that I want to I want to be there for that like there's yeah. nothing more meaningful and rewarding and and healing again and again and again like I just feel like with all the trauma that I experienced as a child there's all I want from here on out is like healing, right? And to face those shadow sides and and go in deep and go into the mm-hmm. depth and just like where can I touch it and where can I bring that that word that's held in the waiting, right? So yes, which I feel, I feel like, like today our word was shaman. It was that's been and yeah. and more broadly, what I think also ultimately opened the door for me to accept that word to come out was last episode when I drew snake for myself and I realized like that has been in front of me so um, obviously is that that is my totem animal but I you know I think in western culture snake has so many negative connotations 
and I'm still kind of like processing more beautiful spiritual and ancient meanings of snake versus current corrupted versions of snake and really sorting it out but it's it's really been this new totem for me of like that's the woman I am I have this snake totem and I think that allowed me to ease my way into that word the shaman thing that's and it, everything just fit like okay that's interesting because yeah Ali and I have been talking about our central totem animals and in a way there's still this little part of me that's like snake is so fucking cool like <laughs> yeah badass like badass <laughs> totem animal you know that has this this darkness to yeah, it and but the minute it came out yeah. I've been faced daily mm-hmm. with negative connotations around it and I'm like whoa okay mm-hmm. I've got to really sort this out yeah interesting yeah but I I mean on the flip side because Allie and I are always on the flip side right <laughs> my my totem and one that I've been avoiding and here I am giving voice to it so I'm practicing that and claiming it is a unicorn and I've joked before, especially in my romantic life, because I get acquaintances who one of the first things they're always curious about is my love life. And I don't like people asking about my love life because it's mine. But <laughs> um, you know, I've had a couple people say to me, like, we just want you to find your unicorn. And I'll joke and say, I am the unicorn. <laughs> and now I'm moving beyond, I'm finally starting to move on beyond the joking about it yeah because I felt like man a unicorn like that's so that's so pretty and (laughs) like (laughs) that's so cute you know like (laughs) ah like I wanted something more fierce like a lion or something unicorn like it doesn't even really exist and I'm starting to really again it goes back to this like it's actually the totem I want. Right. But because I feel like we have this society, in fact, um, one of my favorite books is a book by John O'Donohue, um, Irish philosopher, poet, and he has a whole book on beauty, and one of the first things he talks about is modern-day society, how there's been this repression of beauty because it's not seen as serious or you know and to be surprised by beauty is to be naive you know and I do I do have this sense of wonder for life like I am easily I easily fall into awe like what (gasps) what that's amazing you know like that's my natural self but over the years because that's not valued that's seen as again naive or rose-colored glasses or not being real and to me I feel like I'm, I'm starting to be able to really claim that unicorn as now I'm learning more about it it is very much a shamanic animal right. you know with its horn at that third eye being able mm-hmm. to see and especially a gift of foresight yeah seeing mm-hmm. the, both of these animals do See, see in very unusual ways, in different ways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, in ways that humans can't quite grasp. Yeah, like yours is the third eye, so like this 
foresight and minus the sensation and perception of because snakes don't actually right see. That. they mm-hmm. sense yeah I love that well I'm from I love this phrase again I heard it on the Michael Mead podcast I've been listening to certain episodes on repeat it's nuts so um but he reminded me of this phrase of um we can only go as far forward as we're willing to go far back right so that foresight is also willingness right. you know and time is cyclical that way so okay foresight isn't just about seeing future but it's that that past that informs the future and that's what i love about yeah, like myth and journey and fairy is you have to understand these archetypal stories and myths. Yeah. yeah. There's a holistic thing around them. It's not just a moment or the future. It is knowing the whole, the whole of it. Right. Like where it started. Right. Where it's at, where it's going. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. I just, I don't know. There's just such a relief this Taurus season of just being able to give voice to what I value. Like those things are yeah. really coming together in a way that is is a, a long time coming. Yes, for sure. Um, I also think so. It is a time where I think a lot of people, as we've already mentioned, probably get a lot of wounds and traumas. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, like, I also have this curiosity about values that get instilled in us or wounds that we might get that in our later years, once we can understand them, man, this might sound dark, but, like, those... Says the snake. (laughs) masochistic. Like, some, some pleasure. Yeah. Um... I'll I'll explain mine to maybe yeah illuminate what I'm trying to articulate very poorly. It's <laughs> <laughs> like putting myself back into the this time it was probably when my greatest wounds happened. I was a pretty serious figure skater, and my experience in that realm was very traumatic, and I didn't understand that it was at that point. I couldn't. Like that first, what was the first line I read again? Like things aren't what they seem, things or what, what they, they appear s- to yeah. be. Yeah, um, things are not as they appear. Nothing about that experience was what it appeared. And as an adult, being able to step back into that time, and I have like a little bit here and there, but there was a, uh, you know, sometimes if you haven't processed something correctly, you'll have triggers that yeah. spark you back into that. Yeah. And it's just interesting that maybe right now we are revisiting this time in a time-bending way. Yeah. And I had an event come up that triggered me to look at, um, I'm just going to go for this. <laughs> Do it. Because I don't think yeah. this person may even not... They would never listen to this podcast, but they also probably wouldn't recognize wouldn't themselves. Wouldn't even recognize themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's, fine. yeah. it's fine. It's totally fine. So, yeah, my ice skating was very traumatic. Um, I could care less about these people, so I don't care about talking about them. But, you know, it was like a whole family. My coach and her husband had many kids, and her family really got entangled with them. And 
took some of their kids under our wings that had a lot of problems and I was very integrated like would go up to Sun Valley and train and be with their family all the time and they were psychotic the parents especially well I think they both were maybe <laughs> it's like the uh, psychotic couple that finds themselves and yeah. I don't know I won't go into all the details of it I obviously being naive and not articulating to my parents a lot of what was happening luckily like nothing specific to me but things I witnessed with family members and anyway there was a lot of manipulation there was a lot of emotional damage there was a lot of um, traumatic things witnessed and I didn't know how to process it. I didn't even know what was right or wrong sometimes mm. in these situations. Um, but looking back, I'm like, oh, there was some really actually like either sociopath, like it was not just narcissist, like there was some sociopathic things in this that mm. really, you don't understand those kinds of wounds are very complicated. Yeah. to untangle and understand what happened and because um, it's not direct it's not like someone's physically or sexually abused you it's really gets deep into weird weird scenarios yeah. and so literally last night something was revealed in a, you know a group of friends I have there was Someone to me that was a little bit more peripheral, but still part of the group, part of the group. And it was revealed, you know, and there was a falling out. I wasn't part of, but it just, you know, whatever that person, we, we, there was, there was a separation of this person in the group and, um, was revealed last night. We always see this person. I shouldn't say he, she, <laughs> this person, <laughs> um, you know, had some of these potentially sociopathic behaviors, but just like someone might have some narcissistic behaviors doesn't make them a narcissist. And so no one, you know, it was just kind of funny. Yeah. You just I would mean, brush it off and would brush whatever. it off. But it comes out last night in a more serious way that they, something they told somebody else that got back to us that like literally yeah no one could say these things if they weren't he was clear he clearly is oh shoot this person clearly is it's a he is a, uh, <laughs> a sociopath and it was more like I was embarrassed yeah. that this person was part of our lives I was mortified I was confused I mean I'm still processing it this is pretty fresh but I'm like whoa yeah yeah I mean it was sort of a joke but he legitimately is and that's kind of terrifying too yeah but it made me you know luckily I was a detached enough this person was periphery enough for me that I, I can be a little more objective than maybe some people in the group but it triggered me to all of a sudden relook at this childhood situation yeah. and experiencing it as an adult and having a lot more objectivity and maturity to process it and then all of a sudden go back yeah. and be like, whoa, I was in that situation before, but it was so much deeper 
but now I recognize what happened and I can make sense of it. Yeah. But what I was getting at before with the pleasure part is I do have this massive, and now I understand why I've always had this huge fascination with like serial killers and psychopaths. Yeah. Just wanting, almost like more like wanting to catch them, you know, like be the detective or the You were looking for a way to validate what you were feeling but couldn't articulate. Yeah. But I do find so much pleasure from dissecting that. Yeah. You know, like I do sometimes think these traumas give us these wounded gifts. Yeah. That, yeah, like I understand how to get into that person's mind now. I know how to like dissect that and there's just like a lot of pleasure around it. It's like, I don't know, that's a little bit. But I I do, it is dark, (laughs) but it's also... It's also, again, really empowering and healing that these things will not always, you know, trauma doesn't always have to stay trauma. It can, I think it's amazing that it can turn into something you enjoy when you now have the right lens and you have safe distance and... like. Well, and a gift, you know, like I'd love to write stories with, not about these specific experiences but I know how they can inspire a story and how to get into that and it can help other people kind of see well I think it it helps you to be able to trust yourself you know because it's like I think as a kid when you're in these intense more intense experiences um and everyone around you is acting like this is normal right and yet something in you is screaming, this is not normal. Mm-hmm. And so now, as an adult, there really is something satisfying to being able to say, it doesn't have to be like this. This isn't normal. Right. There are things we can do to help people, to help ourselves. To, and I think that we... And showing how hard it is to identify it. So like more subtle ways yeah. of understanding how to identify it for... Right. And yeah, to people that may... Yeah. That might be helpful for. Yeah, there's that phrase that your your pain is your purpose. Right. And I think we all get joy and pleasure out of engaging in our purpose. And so there is a root in our pain that it can. Yes, if you think about it too hard, it feels a little twisted, and yet it feels. It feels healing. Well, there's a polarity there, and polarities don't exist without some sort of interaction and pleasure and pain. Yeah. They're interlinked. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's back to those, the elements of the soul, you know, that, that word that's held in the waiting is the thing that keeps us from living these polarized lives that would keep us stuck. Right. And so pathology. Yeah. Yeah. So you need that beautiful word, that Uh pleasure that's been held in waiting, that desire. You need that pleasure to to soften that tension between right. the polarities so that you can actually have some movement and, exactly. and, and heal and become whole. And this is where we differ from like the shaman journey, I think differs from the mystic where the mystic's mm-hmm. trying to really, and there's nothing, I think. I think we're just defining it more for ourselves. What sure. we are, but yeah. I, I'm not trying to put mystic down in any way. I think it has its place and it's really lovely. Um, but that willingness to go into yeah. the ugly parts that you can't spiritually bypass yeah. is where the shaman comes in. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. 
to me so much more beautiful. I need it. Like I feel right. like it's the only way I can't I I I can heal from my own trauma and I feel like the only way that our society and culture will heal from collective trauma. Um but yeah, it is that in a way to me it feels more I don't know what the word is. It's more than even surgical. It's it is this kind of like alchemical fire yeah, alchemical, refining, thing. transmuting. Mm-hmm. And to me, like as you were talking, it reminded me of, you know, something that I've been doing, and and I think it's a really good writing exercise is to think back on this time in your life, that thirteen mm-hmm. year old self, and identify the difference between your inner voice like what you know to be true versus those internalized voices of what everyone else around you seems at least what you're 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 interpreting them to be telling you um and I think everyone is for the most part I think most most people have good intentions and I think people are trying to protect children and teenagers but there's still these voices that are I feel like the internalized voices have a lot of fear around them and that's where the wound is. Mm-hmm. And I think now it's like how I've been really working through like what internalized voices have carried through that I'm still listening right. to versus my inner voice. And I feel like my inner voice is so much more willing to go into these dark places. And there's a, I think for me, like maybe a word too for it is not only pleasure but satisfaction there's a satisfaction with getting to the root to going deep to yeah I'm like I've never been a surface only treat Mm -hmm. the symptoms I always want to get really down and no really you know often when I (laughs) I'm yeah like I want to know where the wound is yeah, and I and I want to spend time with it. Right. I don't want to just in and out. No, I no, want no, no, to no. spend time and really get my heart around it. Because wounds need careful cleaning. And and that often requires a fire. You know, like that yeah. that cleansing fire or the cleansing water that flood. You know, so it's like, I feel like... And getting into the blood, getting into the potential bacteria, getting into, like, it's a... Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, I'm like, maybe that's why I never could have been any kind of medical doctor, because in my spiritual realm, it feels very uh, surface. Mm-hmm. Um, where I feel like these stories we end up telling ourselves based off of these either inner voices or internalized voices, like... I want to ask people, like, who's narrating your life story right right now? Is it the inner voice narrating your story? Or is it the internalized voice? Mm -hmm. You know, where does shame and judgment come up for you? And whose shame comes from an internalized voice, not And it really is like detangling it. The guilt-shame spectrum can really help in that. Like, the guilt is the internal, and the shame is the internalized. Exactly. And, but also, like, where does approval come in? Like, well, approval, if you think of approval and appraisal and the value, you know, like, approval for me, like, that's how I gauged my own value, my own worth, was how was I appraised? What kind of praise was I getting? 
It's interesting when I've tried on different knowings or words or paths that weren't quite right. I feel like it really hit my internalized self more. Yes. But now that I have the right one, it's really hitting my internal, and I don't really care about the internalized. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, it's this is nuts. I feel like this season, all of a sudden, I feel a clarity and a power because I'm I'm finally seeing that difference between the internalized and that uh, I'm saying inner even though internal is great, but just to differentiate them a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, past attempts at, you know, trying things that only were partially spiritual or partially this or partially, because I didn't want to do the full dive because I had these internalized voices that were holding me back mm-hmm. of like, that's too weird you're a woman, a modern day woman, mm-hmm. like, and I had all of these internalized voices of what I could and couldn't do in order to receive approval, praise, yeah, you know, cause, and so it's like, oh, now that I can separate those out and really now recognize that inner voice, there's all, there's an automatic self-value that comes along with that right it's like now I don't need the outside appraisal approval it's like it's almost it feels in a lot of ways right now it feels very instant and yet I know I've been doing this work for yeah so many years years Mm -hmm. and years and years years. so it's just like but it, it does have a it's like I feel like with my yoga practice I remember way back when like you know you you work on these like arm balances especially and it's like you feel like you're never close you're never close you're never close but you just keep attempting even though it feels like wildly off and then all of a sudden one day you just click into it mm-hmm. so I feel like it has that sudden sensation and yet um, but yeah I feel like I'm finding the the questions to help guide me a little bit better yeah, yeah. And pulling back into some more, like, progression-style astrology with this season and everything we've talked about and you've seen us kind of unfold, you know, this question through our own processes and over the past couple days what we've kind of experienced. But is there, you know, like a new spark coming alive for you around your sense of inner worth and your values and how is that starting to crack old shells away that you've maybe not looked at in a really long time um, that have um, gotten corrupted or that you just didn't have a certain uh, mature enough lens to understand it, something that kind of created a construct in your life but a new dream is really pushing at it and cracking it wide open and, and then giving voice to that dream I feel like there's something it, yeah. they really are linked that yeah, once you value something you give voice to it you know and what we give voice to is what we value 
Right. You know, so what are the things you're afraid? I know I cannot, you know, like we're just saying, like I've been afraid to talk about my spirituality, my unicorn, mm-hmm. my shaman. Like there's been a lot of shame around that. Sure. And I haven't valued it, you know, right. but, and, and so it's like as soon as I value it or as soon as I give voice to it, they, they go together. All of a sudden you give voice to it, you're giving it time, you're giving it a vibration, you're giving it a mm-hmm. life, you're putting vitality into it. Right. And then it all of a sudden is imbue you imbue it with this value, and I think other people pick up on that. Right. Yeah. Um, another angle with all of this, if we look at Venus, who's ruling the current season, she on her shamanic journey that we're going on um, is currently down in the underworld which is the place where um, we kind of shed a certain illusion in our life, whether it's about others, um, society, ourselves, and it's also where we kind of face some grief due to that. And I think a lot of the things Anne and I have brought up and talked about fit, you know, I don't, I don't think we need to bring up completely new stories or I think these absolutely fit also with what's going on in tangent with just the progression and developmental phase I think there is this undercurrent with all of this of of being down in the underworld and really shedding some illusions in our lives and um, going through some processes of grief around that I mean you know we heard and really emote with with her um, ordained <laughs> um, process and you know so it's give yourself permission to grieve something um, even if there's some happiness in this new voice you're finding with a new dream um, but definitely sort of like allowing some illusions to shed and well, I think my tears were a good example of that. Like, there's still some <laughs> grief around, even when you find right. that thing. Yeah. It's it's a yeah. surrender. Like, right. I think surrendering a fight, whether yeah. or not, it's like you, you're you giving up the fight in a way, right. and you're, you're giving into this more natural rhythm or whatever. And to me, that's, even though I'm super excited, I finally found this. There's... yeah. A, a shedding of totally. that hypervigilance or totally. you know everything that went along with that and I think um, more for me along this more sociopathic vein there's some like even though it feels mm. good to like have this new awareness and understanding of the nuances and what it does to somebody to shed that story that is like there's a lot of grief in it even though it feels really good right now I think you know both both of those cases like something felt good but it was like whoa there's a lot of grief attached to I think it feels good and and there's some satisfaction there because of the letting go like right um Yeah, and I think I don't know. I and you know, and I know you're talking about Venus and going into that underworld. And I, 
it's there I, there's so many different sayings around it but it is that just satisfaction with doing the work and I think sometimes we with the internalized back to this internalized voices I think we we get a false sense of work and yet we're right. never satisfied and yet we're, we're working so hard and we're never satisfied but then there's this real going down into the depths mm-hmm. and then finally you feel satisfied even yeah. though it's there's so much yeah rot and loss and yeah. disintegration and dissolving and nakedness yeah but it's like i mean some of the things i think we've yeah. said today is like whoa i feel very exposed right we're, now we're very, we're very real right now very raw right now uh, but, but it, it feels, feels good there's like, a clarity to it clarion clarity yeah. clarying and clarity yeah 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 so. and to me is like for me venus is very much a guiding yeah star planet all the things it's everything and and it is I, I I you know it's like I've known this story for so long of that cycle and yet this is the first time I'm really feeling the fruits of doing going down into right. the underworld and like um like some specific moments not just sort of moving through a process but like whoa yeah this yeah, and it's for me to bring back my unicorn. Like, there's something yeah. very beautiful and restorative right. in it. It does feel like magic. It right. feels like magic. So. And if anyone's interested in the whole Venus story beyond what we've talked about with her underworld, it's um, the most common one is the Inanna story, myth or story from Mesopotamia. Um, Ishtar is also an earlier one. Which actually kind of tells, it's almost like their sequential story that kind mm-hmm. of tells the prequel in a way. <laughs> yeah. But both of those, you know, Googling Ishtar's story or Inanna's story, they're very connected to Venus's journeys. By, by the way. Which is kind the of first, the heroine's journey yeah. as well, by the way. <laughs> the first written woman poet yeah. was an Edwana, who was a high priestess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Inanna in her temple. Yeah. So I always love that yeah. that um, side story as someone who is a poet and loves poetry and, and sees poetry very much as song and it's all part of being a seer. You know, to me, poets yeah. and seers are they're synonymous. So I love that. You know, of course, there were women and men seers and poets before the written word, but Enidwana is the first woman poet that to have her writings that we we know of so yeah and she was an Inanna devotee so I love that yes I think that's we forgot to talk about the next theme but we have so much more time with Tara season I think we can on Instagram yeah we're gonna try to be more 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 active on Instagram yeah so watch there for when a new theme pops up but this is you know, we're in pretty early days with Tara, so really revel in these things. Write down some of your notes, your own questions. And about, share them with and people. Share them with people and yeah, step back into these painful thirteen year old shoes. <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope you all have at least one person who can go to those depths with you. Right. And not right. and who can be a good witness and not crumble (laughs) exactly it actually has been shown in psychological research that 
telling stories um, lessens the trauma you feel Mm -hmm. about them, but also having um, sort of a witness or a reference person, a listener, that is very capable of um, digesting and giving good feedback is also just as important. That's what I was thinking. In processing it in a positive way. Thank you for saying that because I did want yeah. I did want to mention that on this this the same thing as giving voice to things is a is listening like that's the other right. side like it's really important yeah. too I feel this season for all of us not only to give, be giving voice to these things but to be listeners mm-hmm. for people in our lives because people are going to want to be voicing things and it's really important that we are also. Uh, good deep listeners yeah and having it reflected back to you in a really um, clear positive constructive way it doesn't put you back into victimhood yeah I feel like that's a really important key there so like choose your your listeners wisely yeah I definitely have people (laughs) in my life who would love to put me back in a place of being a victim and that's not helpful no yeah, you don't want someone who helps you just spin that disgustingness <laughs> over and over again. Right. You want to get out. So someone who can listen and validate in a um, real growth sort of way. Yeah, because these are some especially tender years to revisit. So. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. You're welcome for, for the tears. For traumatic and... stories. <laughs> <laughs> No, they don't show, but yeah. we both shared these out loud. Together. I mean, I already, I do. I feel way less traumatic. Thanks for listening, all you people. Yes, um, <laughs> that's it is. It is, and I'm not being just facetious. It is very yeah. healing, and I'm very grateful. So, all right, we'll be back around the next full moon with Gemini season and Woo! the Sag full moon. <laughs>